My name is Lois and this is my dad, Matthew. And my name is Matthew and this is my daughter, Lois. This week we're talking to Max Fosch, a YouTube sensation. As well as his uh, frequent and very popular videos and his stand-up shows, he's become a member of the Royal Family for 43 minutes, richest person in the world for seven minutes, he's managed to convince travellers that they'd arrived at the wrong airport for six weeks at Gatwick, has recently spent 24 hours in a room with an elephant and almost became Mayor of London. Well, that's what you call a full CV. I actually came across Max a, a few years ago. He's always been a chat with tremendous vim. Uh, when he was at university, he got in touch with me to ask me uh, what I thought about hospital food, um, something which I'd completely forgotten about um, until we, we started to record this. And then more recently, he asked me to be on one of his videos about cooking roadkill. The outcome, uh, which you can hear about on this uh, on this podcast, all I can say is, if I had appeared on it, I'd have been seen by two point seven million people. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, Dad. Quick note is to say that we we talked to Max in this conversation about his stand-up show at the Palladium, which, due to release dates, has actually already taken place. So we'll update you as to how it went at the end of this episode. Max, how very, very nice to see you. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> Lovely to see you too. How are we? Well, we're, we're, we're resting on the, on the brink of a, of a great breakthrough, we'd like to think. Interviewing, uh, not interviewing, sorry, talking to you. This is a conversation. Okay, so what's the, is, that, is that very important? It's not an interview and it's purely a conversation. This is, <laughs> anybody can break in at any time. It is very important. I like the idea that anyone can break in at any time. I love that. That's great. It's, um, you know, I think your, your particular method of uh, your YouTube videos are very much along those lines. Mm, mm, that, is, that is very safe to say, but I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud and pleased to be talking with you, having a conversation with you today, <laughs> Matthew and Lois. Hi, Max. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Um, this, is, this is great. I mean, thoughts on... On food. I mean, forts and fosh on food. I guess now is is could be the title of this particular episode. I mean, we've we've, we've rebranded in the first in, in this for this episode, and, and I love it. Listen, you're not <laughs> gonna you're not gonna take it over completely. <laughs> <laughs> no. Remember, this is not the first time we have spoken. This is not the first time. I think Matthew, you and I have been on holiday together. Which, which I think, I think listeners, listeners will, won't quite know how close Matthew and I are. We've, we've, we we've, are we've, very, very, very close indeed. We've been we? frivolous around the Scottish islands together. We went to, we were in, um, in Isla together, um, off the west coast of Scotland about three or four years ago now, Matthew, I think. It was. And, it was. um, we went for walks. We had some lovely food and, um, Matthew schooled me on darts. There's a picture of us playing darts in a local pub, I seem to remember. <laughs> Good Lord, I must say. Dad, are you schooling somebody on darts? I didn't know you had that in you. Yeah, what? I was once a dart expert. <laughs> and I seem to remember somehow that once upon a time that, that incredible accuracy of the arrows completely deserted me. And it, the, the, the things were looping down and hitting the wall below the, the target. So anyway. What you weren't mentioning, Matthew, is that you'd had about three or four drams of whiskey by this point. So your darts, your, your dart skill did, did decrease over time. Which I was. It's only because you had encouraged me to do so. 
Of course, of course. <laughs> You're entirely responsible. Now, I was actually thinking of the of the episode of um, the the roadkill. Yes, I, I did. I did try to get you involved in one of my escapades in one of my videos, but you were with the way that I work. It was slightly too last minute, and you were you were previously engaged. Um, but yeah, I I, I, did, I made a video where I I served roadkill. I collected roadkill with a a roadkill expert, which which is a is a new job title I, I didn't know existed. And we serve them to to some chefs, and I wanted Matthew to be one of the chefs. Have you eaten roadkill before, either of you, Lois or Matthew? Oh God, I eat roadkill all the time. Yes, I mean, where I live in Gloucestershire, the the roads are festooned with dead and dying pheasants clipped by cars going past. Been, uh, my my dad has tried many times to get me to eat some roadkill, uh, and and various other such uh, naturally dead animals like squirrel. And I've and has it not worked thus far? Not so far. Not it's never really. It's never appealed. I have to say, I would now, but I think he maybe gave up when I was about sixteen, and it wasn't quite top of my list at that stage trying to convince a 16 year old to, to get a chow down on some some squirrel has got to be quite a tricky tricky event but yeah, i think you need to start with pheasant exactly. pheasants are always i think goes down well <laughs> well uh, this is this is what i was worried about like we went out filming that video where i didn't actually know what what animal we would come across and i was i was obviously quite hesitant and, and scared that it would be something like fox or badger because i don't think that you could get a particularly good meal out of a fox or a badger or matthew am i wrong well, I think I'm told young badger, you know, if you make a, a, a civet, civet of young badger, it's very, very tasty. Yes. No, I think. They are, aren't they, they, they've got lots of tuberculosis, don't you, don't the badgers? Or does that, does that go away once you've fried I, them? I think once you've, once you've cooked them long and slow for several hours, the, 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 the tuberculosis is banished to the outer darkness. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, I mean, there are easier ways of going, I think, going around and feeding yourself. Anyway, why, where did that idea come from? I have to say that I was I was just in the car and I was um, I was with my uh, with my colleague um, who who helps me make my videos and we were on the way back from filming something and we were seeing lots of roadkill on a particular road and we thought what could we do with roadkill and we thought um, okay well we just I mean just collecting it was I thought would be quite an interesting um, experience and it, and it it definitely was but then we had to find I I didn't feel confident enough to go out by myself and 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 collect and, and fill it to the roadkill there and then. So we, I managed to find an individual called Poacher John. He was, it was so funny because I'd messaged, he was a, he was a self-proclaimed roadkill expert. So, I mean, I was a bit, I was a bit, I was a bit worried about John initially. And he had said, okay, well, I've, I know, a, I know a road that's great, just, just out of uh, East London. So come and join. And so we, I, we, we were driving around this road and early in the morning is best for roadkill and we arrived at the destination at the end of this road and I said well John where do you think we should go next where's the best place for roadkill and he said oh, I don't know I don't drive and I, <laughs> I remember I remember at this moment just being like oh I, I have got up at six in the morning to kind of meet meet you and you, you are a self-claimed roadkill expert and you're now telling me you don't know where to go for roadkill and we then just drove around for about two or three hours until eventually by some divine intervention we was a, there was a, um, a hen pheasant who had been clipped about ten minutes earlier. I can't help thinking you actually went and bought one from the butcher and you bunged it in the road and then oh look we've just come across a yeah, Absolutely it 
it looks too good to be true. It really does. And I don't think I'd be so vocal about how, how, how good it looks or how bad it looks actually, because it was, it did actually go through my mind at one point. I thought, Oh no, am I going to have to kind of find a, find an animal and put it on the side of the road and pretend we found it. But we got very lucky on this occasion. And did you think it tasted good? It was delicious. I mean, yeah. it was, uh, pheasant is, I, I, I normally stay clear of eating pheasants. Um, because I find it, it normally doesn't it doesn't go down particularly well. But we wanted to make a three course meal out of pheasant. But we and so we started with pheasant uh, Kentucky Fried pheasant. And now, as as one of the the chefs who, who tasted it said that pheasant is not a bird that you want to be deep frying because it's not particularly fatty. So it was like we were eating crack. It was not very nice, Matthew. Is that fair to say? <laughs> no, deep no. fry some pheasant. I thought it was a mistake. If you want my, I did actually watch. <laughs> I watched it, but I just thought. Cut it down to two courses rather than... They, I must say, the chocolate and liver, that was an absolute killer. I, it was great. I mean, have you ever had have you ever had liver in chocolate before? I mean, and they're awful in chocolate. I don't want to get technical here, but there are some places in the world where they have chocolate, they add chocolate to stews and things like that. Sicily, Mexico, places like that. Uh, and in fact, it did remind me of a rather unhappy episode on on my my birthday when I decided to cook dinner lunch for my entire family and I served up hair in chocolate sauce, which went down very well. It was well. not a good experience. <laughs> not a good experience. I have to ask how are we how are we spelling hair. <laughs> <laughs> the floppy eared kind. Good. Okay. <laughs> it was. I mean, are, are you interested in food? I have to say, I, I think I am unfortunately in the more of the eat to live category rather than the live to eat, which I know it doesn't, it might not be the best thing to say on, on a podcast all about food, but I've been very lucky to, to eat some fantastic food. Um, I think it's purely from a laziness point of view. I really enjoy fantastic food, like I think we all do, and I can really appreciate fantastic food, but I, I think I'm not going to be going out myself and looking for it, but that's pure laziness. So if someone else is going to do it for you, you're happy to eat it. Absolutely, Matthew. If if you're in the kitchen and you've got the apron on, let's 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 get going. <laughs> it's a terrible responsibility. As long as I don't end up on one of your videos, and I'm, I'm yeah, I bet I bet Matthew, you weren't actually busy. You just did not want to get involved in in whatever frivolity and silliness that I was up to with my honest, It sounded very very dubious. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if only I'd known, you know, one and a half million downloads or views. Yeah. No, I'm 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 very much in the uh, the eat to live category. I'm assuming Lois and Matthew, you are more in the live to eat category. Is that fair to say? For sure. Yeah, definitely. I've been, I, I I've probably inherited it. Yeah, food for me is like my it's my outlet at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and I love I just I love eating good food. I also love eating some crap like we all do. Mm. But yeah, I I I found it's like my wind down time. It's not. It's not the best wind down activity for one's, you know, waistband and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's a bit, it's got some, there are some, like, some hazards mm. of the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, I, I definitely find it like my creative outlet. Do you, do you cook at all or do you just sort of? Well, actually, as you were saying this now, I think, I think this question is kind of split into two. It's, it's whether one has a love of cooking and one has a love of eating. I think, I think we all yeah. have a love of eating and, and it's the, it's the, it's the cooking part. And I think, I've always struggled with the um, the creativity in the supermarket rather than the creativity <laughs> in the kitchen, um, because mm. the idea of kind of walking in and be like, right, I know I'm going to make this tonight. I know I need this. I need this. I need this. Um, and so I have I have got better because I've been recently uh, cooking the 
the kind of um, the box uh, subscription uh, meal. So your gustos and your hello freshes where they send you the ingredients and you just follow a, a little recipe book. And that I quite like because it kind of takes away the, the, the pressure of, of coming up with something for myself. It does. And also it's quite good the way it pre-portions everything. I think it's quite a good intro to cooking as well, because I've got quite a few friends who started doing those boxes going from like not cooking at all and then they kind of after a few months or a year or so have gone oh hang on I think I've got a bit of an itch now I'm gonna go and try and do it myself absolutely absolutely dad do you know what we're talking about (laughs) Uh, I have not faced I must say Max you don't strike me the man who suffers from angst a lot not particularly, no. I'm I'm quite a um, I'm quite well. I'm I'm a, someone who who's the kind of person to do the silly things that I do. So I don't I don't really ever think about um, worry about it. But I think it's more the the time constraints and the time efforts that that that, that get put into it. I guess. How, how how would you describe the silly things that you do? I think that they are they are just inherently. I think we are very much, especially in the in the media landscape, um, both the kind of on social media and mainstream media. There's always a, there's always a, an essence of of a why of a reason. It's why are you doing this? Um, it's to tell a story. Whereas I'm very much a big fan of doing something for the sake of it being very silly. Um, and I, I quite like a story, so I like being able to tell a story of something that I've done. So I guess. The, the the way to exp- explain the things that I do is I'm I'm purely just kind of compiling a library of stories that I can tell my grandkids in in fifty years <laughs> of oh I remember when I did this and the thing eventually it's gonna be like oh granddad please shut up yeah yeah told you're, us that story you're really embarrassing times. us granddad oh please <laughs> you didn't really do that did you yeah I think and so I think almost that the, the videos that I make in the YouTube library is purely just proof I think in in years to come of that that what I have done was was actually was actually real. I were you were you shocked when you realised that actually this was go- this was kicking off? Oh yeah, like I didn't, I didn't. I mean, it, it, it very slowly it, it kind of it happened gradually, and I started doing kind of interviews at university and talking to drunk students on nights out. And <laughs> it, it has it's not like I woke up one morning and decided I was going to go and collect roadkill. Um, it's yeah. it was a very slow creation process of, of of understanding what I'm what I'm kind of what my strengths are with storytelling and what my weaknesses are. So it is a it is an odd uh, it's an odd job. I think my my family and my parents especially don't quite understand it until until I do live <laughs> events with with individuals present. So I do a lot of stand up comedy, and I think mum and dad coming to that they they like oh okay understand okay so then people come <laughs> and they watch him here but they're also watching him online. Um, <laughs> So I, I remember okay, oh, I did a show in London and it had sold very well. And dad came to the dressing room and said, Max, there's, there's people queuing outside the door. I said, yes, dad, I've been doing this for months. I, they've all bought tickets. And he was just absolutely flabbergasted. But I just, I guess it's this idea that one's parents doesn't really know what you do, but they just are just quite happy as long as you don't call them and ask for money. <laughs> well, one of these, when you have children of your own, you will be you you will remember how astonished you are when they come and say, "Actually, no, I'm not coming to ask you for more money. I'm just saying, do you need any any yourself?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> and have they come to a lot of your shows? Yes, they have started now to come to, to a lot of shows, and I think it's now I'm actually having to to actively ask them to come to shows now, um, ones that I would like them to be at. Um, so I've I've got a I've got a big show in 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 November, and trying to get my mum was kind of had to come back from a holiday a day early than she was planning on and it was a lot of huffing and puffing that's so funny you know you're doing so well when your parents don't need to come to everything anymore because it's on, just you on. know he's 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 underplaying 
this. Not only is she coming back, especially to see this one show, but then she's flying back on holiday the day after. <laughs> oh, Matthew, I hear that my mum has given you the full lowdown about how difficult Absolutely. it's going to be to come back. <laughs> the sacrifices we make for our children. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Mum, it's, it's the biggest night of my career. She's like, there, she genuinely said, there'll be other big nights. I was like, no, Mum, this, this is the night. <laughs> Is this the one at the Palladium? This is at the Palladium, absolutely. And, and is this yeah. the biggest show you've done by a, a country mile? I mean, to give some ideas, I just came back from the Edinburgh Fringe, and I was in a it was in a venue that was a seventy five seater, and the Palladium, I think, is two thousand. So it's, it's a <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a change. Um, but yeah. And how do you how do you shift your material? You know, if you think like a lot of people know you from your YouTube videos. Mm. How do you translate that to you live on stage? So we've spent, it's spent kind of two or three, I've been working on this stand-up show for about two years, two and a half years. So, and I've been working with a director who works in the stand-up comedy world traditionally. And we have had huge conversations about, okay, let's say someone comes to the show who has no idea who I am, which, which happens a lot because parents bring their, or their kids bring their parents or mm. vice versa. And so it's a lot of making sure that everyone in the audience can enjoy what is being said and and enjoy the stories and enjoy the jokes but it is it's been a long process of, of trying to work out how is best to do that and do those people who hate being picked out as a volunteer need to avoid the first few rows absolutely although i hope matthew is going to be in the first couple of rows because matthew yeah. i think would be great to chat <laughs> well hang on lois and i have been to the palladium before once before, uh, where we went and saw Dame Edna Everidge's farewell show. It's a very similar content to my show. It's very <laughs> well, similar. <laughs> and, you know, I think you look great with the gladi. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, so the Palladium is just kind of something that I, I, I used to watch a lot of, with my mum, actually. We used, to a lot of, we used to watch a lot of kind of stand-up specials that were filmed at the Palladium in the 90s and early noughties, kind of your, your Jack D's and, and Al Murray's in the early 90s or late 90s. And so I think doing doing a show there, that's why I wanted it to be there, because I remember on Sunday nights we'd always put on a, a Jack D DVD of him live at the Palladium, and that was kind of a really big moment every every weekend. That's so exciting. Do you think you're going to get super, super nervous? Absolutely. I, I, I will get very... <laughs> a couple of change of pants is needed in the rider. Um, <laughs> So we'll, it'll, be, it'll be good fun. Um, um, this seems to be, you know, this conversation seems to have rambled up into some very, very unexpected areas. It seems. Of course, then we need to let's talk about food. We need to be well, I want to food. The, the other, the other film, the other video that you made about her was was um, catching a fish in the Thames. Yes, yes, it was. I saw um, that. I, I caught fish and chips from the Thames. I mean, the chips, we, we had to do some slight... There was some slight creative licence with the chips. Slight? Uh, yeah, I mean, slight, yeah. We, we did. We, we hooked a bag of McCain's on the end of the line and did pretended that we'd caught them. It was obviously very tug-and-cheek, but um, it was essentially I just caught a fish in the Thames. And it's actually... It was, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, Matthew, do you know that there are a huge amount of fish in the Thames or not? I do. I have fished at the Thames all my life. For chub, barbel, pike, perch, trout—you name it. What I was struck by was the fact that you, you obviously went right up to the up to. Instantly, there's a difference between upstream and downstream, by the way. Yes, because you, you said we went downstream where the river got smaller. Now you go upstream <laughs> where the river gets. <laughs> bloody! Hell. I'm a man who knows what he's doing, Matthew. These bloody amateurs, you know. 
Um... I mean, also, Matthew, I, I started, I used a fly fishing rod in outside the Houses of Parliament. Yes, I, I noticed that. I thought, he's not going to catch a lot that way. And indeed, he didn't. I didn't at all. I think, yeah, I was very much told by kind of fishing individuals that catching um, a fish in the, the Thames that is the most famous, the EastEnders Thames, let's call it, um, it was, it was going to be impossible. So that was purely a visual gag. And the actual catching of the Thames happened way upstream um, in, in the leafy suburbs. What did you catch? We, we caught, we managed to catch a rainbow trout. Which was clearly, had clearly been stopped because they don't actually breed naturally in the Thames. That's another no, they do not. We, we very much, I, I'd, I'd, spent, I'd spent weeks and weeks just generally every, trying to go out and cook something. And you kept on moaning about how much it was costing you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm running out of money. Oh my God, you know, this is costing 800 quid. Yeah, eventually it did cost me 856 pounds to, to catch fish <laughs> and oh chips from God. the tent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god which which was very very expensive i mean it was it was quite funny like i, I approached uh, the thames rockets which are a um, a company that take power boats up and down the thames and i rented an entire boat of theirs for two hours at great at great expense and they were like why what do you want to do i was like want well, to catch a fish they were like you're not going to do that i was like i still want to rent the boat and they were absolutely right i didn't catch the fish but i, I mean the, the funniest bit from that was then I, I caught the fish and then i needed to to, 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 to fry it so i just went to a local chippy near my house and said could you just put this in the deep fat fryer please and um they were like what hole not hole. not filleted not gutted not nothing nothing <laughs> and they were like sure i mean they, they asked me to come back when they were using the oil was uh, the last of the day so they weren't contaminated they were like yeah sure if you want and i remember he was this, it was this great geezer called mick and i i went to mick I was like, i don't mate can i can you can you deep fry this fish for me and he said, he looked at me in the classic kind of, uh, it cut me away. He's like, what's in it for me? And I, said, I just I just said, I don't know, 50 quid? And he was like, yeah, all right, that sounds all right. So um, <laughs> he then just went into the back and came out two minutes later with a, with a battered, full, not filleted, not deboned rainbow trap. Yeah. And a pile of chips. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah, and a pile of chips. Did you actually eat it? I didn't eat the whole thing. I had a few, I had a few mouthfuls. Um, he, he poked at it. I've, yeah. I've watched the video. I was you know, looking. I was, I was hoping to learn something, and I did. You, you learned. You learned that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> do, do you enjoy doing these things? I do enjoy doing these things. I think that it's. I, I quite like the idea. I always think about this: the idea that the the, the at school we had the. Um, the, the job fair day when people would come in from various companies and sit you down and say, well, what, what, what subjects do you like? Well, I think you'd be good in law or if you like kind of um, uh, creative stuff, you could work in TV. But I don't think anybody would have thought that this would have been a legitimate job. And so kind of whilst I'm in my 20s and I'm kind of slightly rambunctious and naive and full of hubris, um, I, I feel like I, it's, it's good fun to be able to do these kind of things and get paid for them. Now, I have got a few ideas of what I can do in the future, but I never thought that this was going to be a, a viable job and one that, you know, kind of keeps the roof above my head. It seems to me you, you epitomise what Oscar Wilde said. Well, I should never quite quote Oscar Wilde, but anyway, I'm going to. He said, life is far too important to be taken seriously. Absolutely. This has become a legitimate career and, 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 and opens so many doors. I think, I think career, Lois, is a kind word. I think... I th- <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I think current employment is probably a bet is better. Um, but I guess I, I'm I'm kind of learning how to tell a story, which is essentially just all ent- entertainment and media, and and just the stories that I'm telling are just slightly weird. So yes, I'm not sure what the plan is when I'm ten years time. When I'm 37, I don't really know what I'm going to be well, let's doing. Ca- let's call it a career starter. Exactly. There you go. There we go. And what has been the most successful of your of the videos? So we just have to caveat by saying that is from a listener because we've asked our listeners oh, yeah. oh. what they want us to ask you. Okay, great. So someone called Lucy, Lucy B, who said, "What has been the most successful of all your videos?" And I might caveat that by saying, "How do you quantify success?" Well, I mean, one could do it through just like quantitative measures of just views on how many views something has got. I think it's. I think one of my most successful videos of mine was done actually relatively recently. It was done this summer when I wrote um, "Welcome to Luton" in massive letters um, <laughs> next to Gatwick Airport. And it's so brilliant. Yeah, I, I rented. So I think I rented a field for six weeks from a, from an owner, um, and I, I then got an artist to make uh, a sign that was about sixty five meters, seventy meters long, about twelve meters high, and just put it in this field. And, and so, as people were flying into Gatwick, they thought they'd landed in the wrong place momentarily. <laughs> And what I found quite funny is that it was it was the most viewed news story on the entirety of the BBC for a day. So the most news, the most read news story in the United Kingdom for one day was my stupid prank. And I think what I found most most enjoyable about that, so it, it, it got a lot of views, it got a lot of press attention. But my favourite bit was it got onto Jeremy Vine's TV show <laughs> and his his kind of mid morning one where he kind of debates things and he has all sorts of kind of people who cut polemic people who come on and and try to make arguments out of nothing. And obviously that show is all about kind of debate. And Jeremy Vine was trying to posit the idea that this was actually quite a, a damaging prank because people could have panic attacks that they'd landed in the wrong place. And and people who were on the show, who were professionally paid to be kind of incredibly polemic in their, in their talkings, just said to him, shut up, Jeremy, it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> and so that was that was quite a nice thing for me to see, to be like, oh, actually, I'm glad that the, there is universal kind of agreement this is just a bit of fun. And how many people downloaded it then? How many people... So were- we had um, in on YouTube, it was... it was On YouTube, we got nine and a half million views on YouTube, but Blimey. it was... It it reached about four hundred million people around the world because uh, it was on it was in um, in newspapers in Israel in New Zealand in South Africa it was it was just one of those things that just kind of went everywhere for about a week and it was obviously a very slow news day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is probably no, well then, did you not have any repercussions from Gatwick no it was on private land it was it was genuinely um it was on private land next to the uh next to the airstrip um and they they I did what was quite funny so in the video I wanted to see whether it was visible from the plane because I had no idea whether you could see it from the plane I knew it was right under the flight the, the flight path but I didn't know whether you could see it out the window so what I did is I booked a flight to go from London Heathrow to London Gatwick but via Amsterdam so I had to I, I flew to Amsterdam I stayed on the plane and then flew back into Gatwick and uh, I could see I could see I could see the sign there and I was like, oh that's fantastic and I was wondering whether anyone in Gatwick had seen it whether I was going to get in, into any trouble and so I went to passport control and um 
according to my passport, all they could see was that I'd left Heathrow and landed in Gatwick. So I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't gone through passport control in, in, in Amsterdam. And she said, where have you come from? And I said, well, Heathrow. And she was like, why, why have you done that? And I said, well, I, I'm the one who's written Welcome to, Welcome to Lutent right next door. And she looked at me with this kind of wry smile and just went, oh, you naughty boy, and then stamped my passport. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's, that's when I kind of thought, I kind of thought, okay, no, I, I'm okay here. I don't think I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> that is so funny. Did anyone on the plane with you, like, audibly react to your sign? No one audibly reacted, but I had a woman sat next to me who I tried, she was, she couldn't see, but I was like, oh, Oh, someone, someone's written "Welcome to Luton" outside. What do you think of that? And she very scathingly just looked at me and went, "Probably some stupid prank someone's doing." <laughs> and, and I'd be like, "Yeah, who would do that? God, that sounds terrible." Oh, that's so good. That was good fun. I love it. Have you got any more videos in preparation? Oh, I've got loads, Matthew. I mean, I've, um, I'm currently, this is actually another cooking one, um, which I'd love to get um, help from the listeners and yourselves as to how you think I could achieve this or what I should cook. But I have been waiting for a volcano to erupt somewhere in the world because I then want to take a, um, a Tesco ready meal, a Tesco oven meal and cook it in lava. So um, I'm, I'm planning on going to get a, a chicken tikka masala or the like from, or maybe a steak um, from Tesco and then going and cooking it on, on actual lava. So that is the next plan of a video. Well, you, could, you could do that now if you go to Stromboli. Stromboli is, yes. is a volcano and it's in perpetual state of, in fact, if you'd been aboard the, the good ship Gardenia, you could have yes. jumped off and, uh, and jumped and off and the... given it a go. I mean, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not an obituary in the Sunday Times. So I've, I've had to find, <laughs> I've had to find a, a, a volcano guide. You don't want to be cooked at the same time as your dinner. No, because if I if I was to unfortunately pass away doing that, there would be absolutely no sympathy at all from anybody because the head the headline would be YouTuber doing something stupid has unfortunately died, and um, there would be a collective <laughs> or oh, we deserved it kind of thing. How do you come up with your ideas, Max? The ideas are I just I don't really know. I, I, it's a lot of talking with with people and. Um, it, the way I come up with that is contradictions. So roadkill, we you know road or cooking. What's the what's the the opposite of cooking or nice food? Okay, so that's roadkill. That's 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 mm. disgusting. Okay, let's do something nice with that. Um, and it's the same with with the lava one. It's like okay, cooking something. You cook something in an oven. What's the weirdest and most crazy place you could cook something? The sun, not possible. Um, or what about lava? So it's a lot of just seeing things in, in, in real life and thinking what we could do. I mean, I've just come back from a trip um, in India for four days where I um, I spent 24 hours with an elephant in the room. So I, I genuinely, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So someone, someone said the phrase to me the other day, last week or two weeks ago, saying, oh, that's the elephant in the room. And I thought, what's it like to be with an elephant in the room? So I then managed to find an elephant Oh in India, word. so it's, uh, it's. I don't really know how I come up with ideas. You must be making a lot of money out of this. Well, that's where the the, the beauty of brands come in, Matthew. So oh. um, I can I can sell thirty seconds or forty five seconds in one of my videos um, to talk about the fantastic thoughts on food, and in re- in return, I'll be compensated financially for for that. And most of the time, most of the time, I, I, I'm not really making that much money because they're all being it's all being paid to 
do these crazy things. So um, I'm just about kind of putting some aside. But a lot of it is um, just kind of spending lots of money on making these happen. I think your mother will be very, very um, relieved to hear that most someone else is footing the bill for something. Yes, absolutely. It's not. It's not coming out of the inheritance. I got. I've got to ask quickly. Obviously, we've got to wait for the video. But spending a day in a room yes. with an elephant, te- terrifying. Not Wonderful. Terrifying? She was a. She was a very gracious host, and um, she. It was. It was funny because we didn't spend. Obviously, I wanted to um, make sure that I wasn't kind of ruining her daily routine. So we didn't spend the entire day in just the room, but we did spend a good eighteen yeah. hours because she goes on a big walk and eats lots of food and then comes back and sleeps. Um, and so I had a little camp bed, ne- literally right next door to this elephant. This elephant. It's called Tara. She's 70 years old and <gasps> she was, yeah, she, she's quite a, quite a famous elephant in the, in the conservation world because she was kind of saved by um, a conservationist called Belinda Wright. Um, who uh, is, is quite is quite well known, and she has she she lives with Tara out in India. Um, so yeah, that's amazing. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, it was very it was a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to ask you. Sorry, we've got another question from a listener. This is Jerome, and he wants to know what is the best opportunity outside of YouTube that has come from being a YouTuber, an influencer, whatever that's you want to call yourself. Great question. I mean, I've been able to, I've been very lucky and very fortunate to be able to sell some tickets to do stand up and performing in in incredible venues and and doing the Palladium is something that is a real kind of lifelong goal and and something that I'm I'm really proud of that I've been able to achieve. But I think on a more, on a more fun level, um, I was recently, I was, uh, I'm a big, I'm a big golfer, I like golf and um, I managed to get an invite to a big golf tournament where I got to play with the pros the day before the golf tournament. And my, um, my dad was my caddy. And one thing I've learned is that my dad is not a very good caddy. Um, and so it was a, it was a pro-am day. So you have kind of like three celebrities, which of which I was uh, astonishingly one of them and one of the professionals. And so my, my fellow celebrities were, were two Olympic gold medal winners for team GB. And we had, my, my pro was kind of the best golfer in France and then it was me who makes silly videos on the internet and it was very funny because they did a, they did an interview on the first tee before we all teed off as to oh who are you what do you do and and the interviewer had a few questions about each person's career and he obviously didn't have many questions about my career <laughs> because <laughs> he didn't quite know what was going on so he very much said hi Max um I'm not so sure about what you do, but could you please, please explain to everyone else what you do? So um, doing a pro-am at, at Wentworth, the PGA Championship, was, was great fun. And having my dad there, <gasps> oh having my, my dad there was, was also fantastic. I think you were incomparably the most interesting person out of that group. Well, I know. I mean, I did feel slightly, I felt slightly bad because here these were like the sportsmen at the top of their game who've like dedicated years of their life. And I just once cooked roadkill and ran for London Mayor once upon a time. So um, under false pretenses. So, um, no, I think it was that was that was great fun. But there's been all sorts of environments and situations where I thought, God, that this is this is really special uh, to be able to have done this because of, of YouTube. And are there any, any ambitions that you have left as things that you haven't yet done that you wish to do? 
Um, I think I think it's all just ideas that get bigger and bigger. I think Matthew, um, uh, and now I'm sure that there will come a time when I won't have the energy to do it. But at the moment, I think I still do, and and I have a video idea that I've been determined to make where I'm going to water ski behind a cruise ship. I'm I'm determined to make that happen. Um, I'm I'm in wow. constant in constant conversation with Virgin Voyages, who are whose marketing team are quite keen on the idea. Whether the risk management team are also on uh, on 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 board, I'm not sure. As a fellow water skier, I have so many logistical questions. We've like, thought of them all. We've thought of them all. Bloody hell, how do you even start? You can't exactly get pulled no, up by a You can't. Ship. So you've got to basically have a rib that comes alongside where you get up on the rib and then and, and then, then have tra- transfer. transfer. Now, it's probably lo- unlikely that you'll be able to stand up for very long behind the cruise ship because it's not going fast enough. So I think a lot of the time you'll be holding both ropes and then you'll drop the rope and see how long you can just go for. Um, but and also, presumably not to get morbid, but you don't really want to fall off and get sucked ex- into those Exactly, propellers. so you need to be at least about 300 feet behind the back of the boat and have stunt, oh I've got a stunt coordinator involved, I've got a safety skipper, I've got uh, insurance skippers, I've got, I've got everything. So um, Virgin Voyage is hopefully going to This is happen. a far cry from uh, going out on the streets and uh, chatting up Vox Pop for, for amusing quotes. Good Lord. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, Matthew, I'm, I seem to remember when I, um, I used to do hospital radio and I think the, uh, the, the, most, ex- like the most exciting uh, day was I remember when I, got, I managed to, to wrangle an interview with yourself um, about, about, fo- about food in hospitals. Oh God, really? And um, <laughs> I think that was, that was kind of four or five years ago. And I, yeah, I don't think I could have foreseen the, the career progression from, from that interview to what well, I'm doing I just, now. I but... wish I'd recognised genius when I first came across it. <laughs> that butterfly effect, uh. Matthew, is, is quite fantastic. While we round this off, I'm going to quickly bring it back to food. So we're asking everybody that we speak to in this series one question. Now, we've heard already your relationship with food, so let's see what, if you've got one. What is your dirty dish? So this is the food that you might be having behind closed doors when no one's looking, your guilty pleasure or whatever, or, or something truly disgusting. No, I th- well, okay, if you want something truly disgusting, I can give you something truly disgusting. Now, that, that, <laughs> that would be mayonnaise. Now, I put mayonnaise on almost everything and like tea and tea and like visibly on the camera here, just almost <laughs> retched when I said that. And do you know what that is? That is absolutely correct. I, I will put mayo on, on, on almost anything, which, which is quite gross. I'm kind of on board with that. I'm not, I don't find that too horrendous. Lois, I have been known, now this is genuinely the closest to sacrilege you'll ever get on this podcast, I genuinely have been known in the morning after a night out to have put mayonnaise on a chicken chow mein. So that is... Uh... Okay, I think that, I think that fulfills far. dirty dish to an absolute, to the... To, to an H. <laughs> now, but that, that, is, that is just my pure out, out, outrageously gross. I do have one that I do kind of think is a bit, is a bit naughty that I shouldn't eat. And that is, I will get kind of, it's a, it's a kind of a linguine, prawn linguine, but with double cream. So you get some double cream, mm. you get loads of parmesan, some, some veg stock and some lemon and just make this white sauce and then just put pasta into it. I think is absolutely oh, delicious. No, I thought you said you yeah. weren't a sophisticated cook. That seems to me very... I know, Matthew, but I, in my time... That's actually one thing that the box meals, the, 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 the gustos of this world have definitely helped me with is, is, uh, is kind of understanding that. So my double cream pasta is definitely up there. Thank you for that contribution to world <laughs> gastronomy. <Yeah. laughs> You're more than welcome, Matthew. 
And and thank you for chatting to us too, darling. If you got anything, yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to follow the videos. I can't wait. Amazing. Thanks, okay. guys. Oh, thank thanks. you so much, Max. Bye. It was lovely to meet you, and that was great to chat. In the case of Max, it's a matter of watch this space. I can't have a feeling there's a hell of a lot more to come from that young man. Absolutely, and I think 2,000 people who attended the London Palladium probably agree. He got a, a standing ovation at his show. Next time, maybe we'll be there. <laughs> Prolonged and stormy applause, they used to say. Anyway, next week, Lois and I are talking about kitchen gadgets, the do's, the don'ts, the favourites and the futile and the essentials and the absolutely useless. <laughs> Hopefully this might lead to a few ideas for Christmas presents. Um, please send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear about your quirky gadgets, must-haves, uselessness, etc., etc. 